I was investigating my reflection in the mirror the other day, and I said, babe, my hair's falling out, my belly's getting a little extra tire here, I got to tweeze the hair out of my ears, you know, and age is just sort of doing a number on my self-esteem. I need you to pay me a compliment to lift me back up, and out of the other room, I hear Carrie yell, well, your eyesight's 2020. Okay, that's it. That's, that's made up. That's a made up story. It didn't happen. It's a joke. I was born cesarean. You can't really tell, but when I leave the house, I usually go out through the window. Okay, now I was told this isn't a joke, so, and that I have a weird sense of humor. So two newborns lay in the hospital next to each other, facing each other, in their little, you know, the clear plastic little bassinetti things they use at the hospital, wrapped in their little blankies with their little hats, you know, their little hats they put on them, and they're just wide-eyed looking at each other. Well, you know the little hats. And then you bring him home, and you're like, what happened to his precious little hat? Oh, no. I lost his little hat. His head's going to get cold. And by, so they're there laying it, they're laying there, they're just looking at each other. And by some fluke, 87 years later, they end up in the same hospital as each other, but this time on their deathbeds, facing each other, laying there. And after a long silence, one says to the other, what'd you think? Tim, that's not a joke. I know, but it's a fun idea. You know? Remember when you were a kid in school and you were just counting down the days till summer break? It's happening right now. (laughs) And you just thought, oh my word, when summer break gets here, then I'll really live. And you're just pining away for it. You're You're looking at the clock. Is today over? When is three o'clock? Can I get out of here? It doesn't seem like that's what a lot of childhood was. Waiting for real life to begin. And then, and then you'd be thinking, man, I can't wait till I turn 16. Because then I can, I can, nobody said it. I can drive. I don't even care what I drive. Oh, yeah, well, I dreamt about a Dodge Viper, but I got a Chevette, so, but it went. It was an upgrade from the Honda little scooter I used to drive before. I had a moped first, and I would go 55 miles an hour on the, on the actual highway with, highway with real traffic. I was like a 15-year-old. I was ready. Give me my license. And then you thought, oh, can't wait till I finally get to move out of mom and dad's house and I can have some freedom. And then you did, and it was like, oh, dear, bills, yard work. Someone's going to have to do these dishes. How did that laundry pile get there? I don't have anyone yelling at me to do it or pick it up or, you know. People come over and they say, bleh. And you go, what? What's wrong with you? And then you're like, I can't wait till college. College? Oh, college. And then you get to college and you're like, I can't wait till I graduate from college. 
Then you graduate from college and you're like, I can't wait till I get married. And then you get married and you're like, oh, my life would really begin if I had a kid. And then you have a kid and you're like, if I could just sleep. Or you get saved and you're like, oh, man, this is the greatest thing ever. And then you find out there's more and you're like, oh, if I could just get tongues. So you get tongues and then you're like, if I could just heal the sick. So you heal a few sick people and you're like, oh, if I could just see people get saved and so on and so forth. In other words, I don't care what we're talking about. The humans, we tend to be looking forward and pining for something that we don't yet have. Oh, Then you got the kids and they, oh, I can't wait till they get to college. I can't wait till they get married. I can't wait till they have kids. You know, at college, you're like, I can't wait till I graduate and I get my career going. Then you get your career going and you're like, I can't wait till we finally meet this milestone. Maybe we could get this achieved at work. Oh, then it's retirement. I don't know. Yoda on Dagobah. And The Empire Strikes Back, which is the best movie of the entire... How many movies are there now? I don't know. It's a whole system of movies and shows. We're talking about Star Wars people. Yoda, what does he say on Dagobah to Luke? He says, Never was his mind on where he was. He's poking him with his stick. You know what I'm talking about? What he was doing. He's saying, Luke... You're always worried about what was behind, missing what you, what you used to have, or looking ahead, wishing you had something else, or thinking about some other place you'd rather be. You're not here. You're not present. You are a passenger in your own life, not really here. Life, here's the summary of the entire sermon. Life is what happens while we're waiting for it to begin. Advent means arrival. This is Advent season. Advent is to Christmas as Lent is to Easter. In Lent, we are looking forward to Easter. We're really looking forward to the crucifixion and Easter. It's a fast season where we humble ourselves and we wait and we soak in the reality of I needed Jesus to die. So it's a season of repentance. And then Easter is like a season of celebration. Ah! Advent is a season of longing, of waiting, of fasting, of, oh. So that when Christmas comes, we can go, oh. It means an arrival. It's a season of waiting. I think it's very fitting that it, it's in the season of year that it is, a season where the leaves have fallen off the trees and things look dead but they're just dormant. And we're waiting. We're waiting for spring again to come, which we have no control over. It doesn't matter what you and I do. It will come when it comes and not before. Like so many other things in life that are God's job and not ours, we just have to wait it out. But it will come. Abraham received a promise. You're still in Luke 2 waiting for me, and I appreciate that. Abraham received promises, and the promises just seemed to take a long time to get there, didn't they? 
His promise was mostly about a child and a piece of land. But God had way bigger purposes than Abraham. Way, way bigger purposes than Abraham could even dream. Ultimately, the promises to Abraham were promises God kept keeping for every child of Abraham, including you. God's faithful to you, and every time he's faithful to you, he's still keeping his promise to Abraham. And it's a lot more than just a kid. It was ultimately fulfilled through Jesus, and it took generation and generation after generation. But what would happen was they'd sit there and they'd wait for the promise to come, and it wouldn't come, and it wouldn't come, and it wouldn't come, and then it would come a little bit, and then they would die, still saying, there's got to be more than this. We've seen a little of God's goodness, but we know there's more than this. Joseph died in Egypt. Do you remember what he said when he died in Egypt? He said, guys, one day God will deliver this whole family out of Egypt and take us back to the land he promised to Abraham my grandpa, and when he does, I want you to dig up my bones and take them with you to the promised land. He knows, Joseph knows, that the faithfulness of God will come about, that the promises of God will come about even if it happens long after he's gone. So dig up my bones, kids. And take him into that promised land. Don't you bury me. Don't, don't let me stay here. And they did. 400 years later, they remembered what he said and they were careful to dig up his bones and carry them in the wilderness 40 years until they finally came into the promised land. I love that. The bones of Joseph. The bones of Joseph. And this kind of hits the whole idea of the now and the not yet. There's a whole lot we're still looking forward to. A whole lot we're looking forward to as Christians. We are waiting for the resurrection of the dead. We're waiting for death to be destroyed. We're waiting for every tear to be wiped from every eye. We're waiting for Jesus to return and when he returns to bring judgment to sin and rescue to those who've been longing for him and serving him, who've been paying a high price to serve him. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're waiting for. But hopefully we're not just holding still looking waiting, pining like kids waiting for summer break, just groaning and saying, there's only one thing going on and until that I can't really live. We're longing, but hopefully we're also enjoying that kingdom now. Are you with me? Because life is what happens while we're waiting for life to begin. Luke 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, verse 25 of Luke 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. That's everything I've been talking about. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27, guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, 
Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Master, you are now dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mother Mary, this child is destined for the rising and falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And there was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then as a widow until the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped there fasting and praying night and day. And at that moment, she came and she spoke about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Simeon and Anna, waiting, looking, longing, praying, yearning for the promises God gave to the Jewish people to be fulfilled. They remembered the, 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 their glory days under David and Solomon. And they thought, when the anointed one, when the promised one comes, the son of David, when he comes, surely he'll kick out the Roman bums. Surely he'll politically rescue this ethnic political group of Jewish people and we'll have our glory days again. They didn't understand that the Messiah's promise was much, much broader, much, much deeper. Just like Abraham, all he wanted was a kid. He didn't recognize he would be the father of the seed who is Jesus. He just had a promise of land. He didn't recognize that the the meek would inherit the whole earth. He didn't realize that his desire for children was moving in the direction of a desire for eternal life. But the father, God the father who gave the promises, understood the layers of the covenant and he went after the real enemy and he went after the real promise The real enemy is sin and death. And the real promise is eternal life and the restoration of all things. But Simeon and Anna, they got the pieces that they did get and they lived with expectancy. They lived with their eye longing for the inbreak of God's kingdom and something about the way that they were leaning into yearning for God's kingdom to break in, something about that yearning and that leaning actually opened their eyes to the, to the presence of God in the daily. There's something about living with Christian hope, belief in the next life, belief in the next world, belief in eternity. There's something about leaning into the eternal that actually orients our life in this world. I remember having talks with my Christian friends as a younger person where they would say things like, if there were no life after death, would you still be a Christian? If when you were dead, you are dead, would you still take the time to pay all the high prices and rearrange your life in the costly, Christ-centered, obsessive, disciplined, rigorous 
uh, uh, I mean, because discipleship is radically rearranging your life around God. It's not going to church and praying a prayer. It's radically rearranging your life around Jesus. And I remember thinking, well, first off, the whole heaven thing wasn't even revealed until the New Testament. Like Abraham, God didn't talk to Abraham about heaven. And he still thought it was worth following God. On the other hand, all of Jesus' sayings are eschatological. You can't understand less than half of what Jesus said if you don't understand that the kingdom will come and that souls live forever. So I could argue both sides. But apparently I got real feisty and my one friend said to me, I'm not going to ask you these kind of questions anymore because I don't like to be yelled at on the sidewalk. Because <laughs> I got real loud and passionate saying, if you, cut, if you cut the cord of the promises of Jesus that the kingdom is coming and it will come in its fulfillment and it, and it will be not even worth comparing the sufferings of this life, to the glory about to... If you don't... I'm, I just got feisty with him. I, I was like, dude, you, won't, you, remo- you will remove all the power for transforming this life if you remove heaven. You will remove all the motivation to understand the meaningfulness of our sacrifices in this life if you take away eternity. You, if you, Paul says, if when you're dead, you're dead... Don't be a Christian, pity the Christian. Because the Christians made himself intentionally opened his heart up to incredible pain and sacrifice if he's doing it correctly. And if when you're dead, you're dead, just eat, drink, and be merry. Don't give your life for the lost. Don't, don't, are you crazy? And then, of course, they... That's where the arguments come from. And then Tim gets really loud. But Simeon and Anna, instead of their hope in heaven creating pie in the sky mindset that thought, well, one day our life will begin. Instead of that, it actually gave them eyes to see God in the ordinary, God in the daily, God in this moment. How else else do I make sense of the fact that they recognize Jesus when he shows up at the temple? Who else recognized Jesus when he shows up at the temple? Nobody. Nobody. Nobody, but they did. How did they know? Listen, if you grow accustomed to recognize, to being present, being present in your life and seeing your life through the lens of the, of, of the faith, if you, see, if you can live your life as sacred, the sacred in the ordinary, then I suspect when the sacred shows up in the ordinary, you have eyes to see it. So their leaning into eternity gave them a glimpse of the eternity in the everyday so that when the one comes, they go, there he is, that's him, that's him. It's my theory. He says, now dismiss your servant in peace. Now, how did he know? It says it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. You're not going to die until you see the Messiah. Now dismiss your servant in peace. I can die now. I have fulfilled. I, and it wasn't, God, it wasn't him saying, 
you've kept your promise. It was him saying, the dream on my heart. See, I don't think that came from heaven toward earth. I think that was earth's, heaven's response to a longing on earth. Oh God, let me see your Messiah. I wanna see your kingdom break in. I wanna know, I wanna see some token of it. I wanna taste it in this life. I don't just wanna die knowing that one day it'll happen. I wanna see it break in in my life, God. I wanna see your kingdom come in my life, God. I wanna see you do these things in my life, God, in my days, God. And I think heaven says, okay, okay, Simeon, okay. Yes, you have what you have asked. Now that's a theory, it's a Tim theory. Maybe smart people would say, that's an argument from silence, Tim. You're importing your theology into the text. Probably so. Probably so. Because that's how God's dealt with me. There's a jazz trumpet player and you know how jazz is. You feel the music. You don't play the music off a page. You feel the music. And one night, he was playing beyond himself, this trumpet player. He was playing beyond himself. Do you know what I mean? He was playing better than he can play. And as he walked off the stage, in Latin, he quoted Simeon, now dismiss your servant in peace. I can die now because of what just happened on stage. I love that. I love that. This, the feeling of I have done on earth what I was sent to do. <sighs> wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be a fantastic thing to aim for for every one of us? I don't know. It's pro- my thing's not jazz trumpet. Your thing's probably not jazz. If Doug were here, he'd be like, Hey, I, I think I can do that. That's, that's a good goal. But the rest of us aren't trumpeteers, are we? I don't think. But, but there's a thing in your life. There's a call on your life. You're here to do something. You are all here. We are all here to do what we are here to do. Wouldn't it be just fantastic to have those seasons, those moments to where you, you stand back and you say, probably not in Latin, we got it. I can die. I, I can die now because we did it. Anna has an interesting story. Married seven years and then a widow from then on. And yet, so, so you, you just already, well, I do, already you're like, ah, oh, that's a hard life. That's, that, is a t- that is a sad, hard story. And something about the sad, hard story, or I, I assume if she's anything like the rest of the people in the Bible, it'll either make you bitter or it'll drive you into a place where you find your hope in God. Hard things do that, don't they? Uh, Hard things can make us bitter. They, They do not automatically make us better. We have to steward our heart in the hard thing. Hard things make most people damaged, Selfish, self-pitying, angry, blame-shifty, stressed out, sleepless, grumpy, you know. But if we steward our heart into the presence of God, the hard things can become a doorway. Or as the Lord said to me one time, 
a broken heart can hold my presence. And Anna spent all her time, all her time praying and fasting in the temple. All her time praying and fasting in the temple. Waiting for the kingdom is how I read that. Longing to see the Lord's will break into earth. So Simeon and Anna shaped history. They are the movers and shakers of history. When heaven tells the story of civilization, of of what's real and what's important, heaven's story will include Simeon and Anna as big time movers and shakers. But if Luke didn't mention them, you'd not know about them. I would not know about them because there is no world history book that will include them. They are irrelevant to the story that the world is telling about history. And that's how it actually works. The most important people in history are nobodies from nowhere who know somebody, who know the somebody. And they shape history through prayer. There's a secret history called the truth. And those of faith, you know, this little 85-year-old, 84, 85-year-old lady, she's one of the movers and shakers. It's just, it's fun. Like when Glenn was here, he said it's the right side up kingdom and the, and the world is the upside down kingdom. And we're getting to see, okay, all right. This is what matters and this is who's influential. Sometimes I'm a, I'm a super sappy guy. I'm a sentimental guy. The other night I made a mistake and I started looking through my old photographs and I was looking through the pictures and me and Annie and... Then I scroll back further, and they're so precious and so sweet. And I started to cry because I can't live forever here. And see, I'm one of those people that I'm, I don't know why death, aging, sickness, and death are not the topic. Instead, the topic is, well, let's ignore that and talk about rearranging the items in the fridge. Sin and death, dude. How come we're not talking about sin and death? Is it not driving anyone else crazy? Are you not, like me, just devastated by the fact that you can't just go, I'm going to live a thousand. I just want to hit pause in my life right now and live a thousand more years just like this. Change nothing. My life is heaven on earth. That's what I want, but I can't do it. You can't do it, you know? There's gonna be more hair growing out of my ears in a while and my knees and all, you know, all the stuff. It's an indignity. Aging and, and dying are an indignity. They're wrong. It's wrong. It's not okay. It's not right. It's, it's, it's wrong. It's a mistreatment of the human. And I don't wanna use the word not fair, but it's not fair. And it's not right. And I like that when I read in my Bible, the Bible doesn't try to do what everyone else is trying to do, which is make peace with death. It's the wheel of life. It's just a cycle. You know, if I was a cuttlefish, I'd be even madder. They got a three-year life cycle. And they're as smart as a little kid. They can solve puzzles and stuff. Three years, cuttlefish dying of old age at three years old. That's stupid, too. But at least they're not ghost crabs. 
They live three years too, but they got to just stay in their hole in the cold sand all winter long. It's the cold season, so this is what I do. Oh, it's springtime. Now I get to go try to not get eaten by seagulls again. What? (laughs) Then they die at three years old. Their life's hard. They don't even have ears. They hear through the hairs on their legs. Let's move on. So I'm looking through my pictures and I'm just crying. I'm looking through my photographs and I'm just crying because the kids are going to grow up and hard things are going to happen to them, guys, because I know how the world works. Hard things are going to happen to them. Do you ever have these moments? I I love my life. I love my people. I love my friends. I love you guys. I love life. Life is so incredibly beautiful and and magical. Surrounded by like miracles. Sunrises and leaves turning and like a little salamander and a green snake that I didn't know lived in the Chesapeake Basin and What's that bird that I hear at night when the, when the sun's gone down? It sounds like kind of a chickadee kind of a thing over in the field by our house across the road. I want to know. I want to know what is that bird. And what are those little birds, those little finchy looking ones? And then Boomer ate one the other day. Yeah, uh, yeah okay. I said, oh, that's one of those cute ones that I really liked. Boomer's our cat, our, gr- our fluffy cat. He's a good hunter. Yeah, he's a good boomer. He's he just doing what a cat be doing, but that bird was just doing what a bird be doing. And I, love my, I love my life. I love the smell of fresh coffee. I love the feeling. Uh, it's rare, but that feeling you have when you're, when you're well slept and showered and your eyes are clear and you don't have asthma and you can breathe deep in the fresh air and you walk outside at night in the cool air in the wintertime. The wintertime, something about the wintertime cleans the air. I don't know how. And you smell other people around you in Seaford. You know how you do. At night, are heating their homes with wood? Oh, the smell of a wood stove somewhere near outside in the winter's air or the cool air. Don't, and the taste of a good pecan pie and some hot, coffee and why do I have to clarify hot because it cools down if you don't drink it on time and a hot cup of coffee or the smell of someone else smoking nearby because you don't I don't smoke and I don't want to smoke but I like to smell it nearby especially pipe smoke the smell of leaves burning which you can't do in our town legally but someone should just so I can smell it the look of pumpkins all over people's porches the grumpiness of children at Walmart when their parents are doing Christmas shopping? No, I changed topics. <laughs> I'm just saying. I can't hold on to this, but this is the stuff of life. Yes, it is. Think about this with me. Jesus lived 30 years, just 30 years that we don't really hear much about in the New Testament, right? What we hear about in the New Testament is he was born and then he got baptized and got to work. The 30 years we don't hear much about. So why did he do them? I actually picture Jesus in heaven going over his photos on his iPad. It's metaphorical. And crying. And having his heart filled with gratitude and joy. And yearning. 
thinking of those times, that one day, that one afternoon where they were in the boat and his brothers and they got into a tussling match and they flipped the canoe and they had to swim to shore and mom and dad were super mad because the boat sank. I'm making up stories again. But I'm saying the 30 years, why do you go to war as a soldier? All the important things of life, fighting crime and rescuing the, 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 the whole nation, laying down your life, why? Why are there laws? Why is there government? Why are there police? Why are there soldiers? The point of those things is to protect what matters most. What matters most? Some lady digging in her garden. Some little kids playing in the backyard, throwing a frisbee, jumping on a trampoline. Exactly. The normal stuff. In other words, the little stuff. The unimportant stuff. Because real life happens while you're waiting for life to start. And I think Jesus what, went into three years of doing, doing battle with the devil. That's what, that's what John says. The Son of Man appeared to destroy the devil's works. So as soon as he got baptized, he went to work destroying the devil's works, setting people free, healing sicknesses. Why? Because it ain't supposed to be this way. Forgiving sins. Why? Because we weren't supposed to go astray. Casting out demons, why? Because they weren't supposed to be dominating our mind and causing suffering in our heart. Reconciling people to God and reconciling people to each other. Destroying the devil's works, why? So we could get back to the stuff that I'm sitting there scrolling my iPad crying about. The 30 years, was he, he got to live. He got to live. The three years, he went to war to protect the 30 years for everyone, forever. It's a Tim theory. It's just so tempting when we, when we realize the fragile nature of life in this life. It's so tempting when we've been hurt and when we're afraid of getting hurt again that what we, we want to do in order to avoid pain is to shut down and close our hearts off to, from life. And then we sometimes even get religious hoping for magic bullets to protect us from pain. That if we'll just do it God's way, then we'll be able to avoid suffering. There's some truth to that because you do sow and reap accordingly. But... There's no magic bullet. There wasn't for Jesus. And we think if we shut ourselves down, if we close ourselves off, and we just say, okay, I'm going to be more of a passenger in my life, and I got all this just going to shut down. We're just going to shut down. I'll be a passenger in my life. I'm not going to wide open myself to people and life and all the goodness that's here. Because that, the more you love, the more you have to lose. And the, the, you know what's weird? The person that's shut down is going to hurt worse. It's just the truth. The person that's more wide open is actually more buoyant. They bounce back. They all get hurt alike. We all get hurt alike. The car's crashing. It's just I'm tired of hearing people act like the sky's falling. The sky's falling, Tim. Look at the state of the world. 50 years ago, it wasn't like this. 20 years ago, it wasn't like this. Five years ago, it wasn't like this. I know that. I also know it was. Have you read human history? It used to be worse than this. The sky is falling. Honey, it already did. We're dying. 100% sin and death rate. The only real issue is now that we know the sky already fell, 
Will we be kind and keep our sense of humor and keep the faith? Because everybody around you is going through the same stuff and we're going to go through hard things. And when we're going through a hard thing and people see that we can keep the faith, stay kind, and keep our sense of humor, they look at that and they go, because they know their day's coming. It'll be their turn soon to suffer and keep the faith and set an example. There's something about longing for the kingdom to break in, yearning for the kingdom to break in, recognizing I don't have to make peace with this death. I can long for the kingdom. I can long for the time when Jesus gets rid of sin and death. I can long for the time when we won't have to say goodbye. I can long for the time when my kids, when I don't have to go, oh, hard things are going to happen to them too. I should have them forever. I should have this forever. That's the original plan. That's the promise. And I'm supposed to long for it. And I'm not supposed to make peace with death. It's an enemy. Everybody else, and I think every other philosophy on the earth except Christianity is trying to make peace with death. And I don't have to. My Bible doesn't tell me to make peace with death. I'm allowed to hate it my whole life. I'm allowed to spit on death. I'm allowed to hate death because it's the last enemy. It's not my friend and it's not yours. Sin and death, I don't have to make peace with them. I can make war on them. I can long for the kingdom to come all the days of my life. And while I'm longing for the kingdom to come, I cannot miss my life and I can open my heart wide even if it's going to hurt anyway. There's a church service called The Second Coming. There's this weird church. Weird church. The pastor's a weirdo. Total weirdo. He's the kind of dude who will make up parables and then not explain them. You know, church has performance art. So he, one night he had a, I don't know, he, you do got to watch him. You got to watch everybody very carefully, including yourself. So this dude, he hosted a service called The Second Coming. Advertised, we're going to have a special speaker. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be life-changing. The Holy Spirit's going to come in power. Your life's never going to be the same. We're going to bring in a special musical band and it's just going to be fantastic. Please come. It's going to be amazing. It's called The Second Coming. And the people showed up on time and they waited. They showed up and they got their seats. Here we go. Second coming. It's going to be good. Special speaker. And when the service time came to start, someone got up on stage and said, um, there's been a delay. We've sent someone to pick him up from the airport, but for some reason the flight, I don't know, there was a problem. So uh, please be patient. And also our musical guests, they, they're here, but... There's a, there's, a, just a, there's a problem, so just please be patient. The people all sitting there in their chairs going, okay, but it's going to happen soon. About 10 minutes later, uh, we're going to have to push the start time back a little, a little further. We've uh, met with a few more delays, and they just kept doing this for about an hour and a half. Nobody started the music. Nobody started the service. No speaker came, but they just kept talking about how the speaker was going to come and the musicians were going to come. And then eventually, at the time in which the service was supposed to be over, the person got up and took the mic and said, um, you're dismissed. And they went home. Now, the preacher never explained it. You and I both know they never invited a speaker or a band. 
It was all a ruse. The, the, the point of the service was to make the people wait. And then they didn't explain. Now, why? You tell me why. Any, anyone else? What were they? Yeah, what were they doing? Well, you can say that the, the worship band was there. They were, they were supposed to do it. They just didn't realize that. Oh, no, they had, they, had a, they had special musical guests that were supposed to. But there was just, they kept claiming there were technical difficulties. Did you hear what he said? It's like life. So I'm sure some people went home super mad. Other people probably thought about it for a long time. Some people were in on it. And I'll bet you even the ones in on it had different opinions about what it meant. Did you notice that's how Jesus taught? Instead of explaining things, he confused you about what you think you know. He was more interested in you going on a journey to discover truth than in being the expert who handed you the truth. I, I, my theory is your theory. I think it was this pastor's commentary on how some of us Christians have escape hatch theology. We're holed up in the, in the bunker like preppers waiting for Jesus to come pick us up instead of living while we're alive. The hope is supposed to orient us to right priorities. In Matthew 25, Jesus says that at the end of history, he's gonna bring the people all in front of him and, and he'll separate them like sheep and goats and what he'll say to each of them is, well done, you did it unto me. I came to you concealed as the poor, the hungry, the naked, those in prison, those thirsty. Or depart from me, I never knew you. When I came to you concealed, you didn't do it for me. So when Jesus comes back, the thing we all claim we're longing for, what he'll say is, I was there all along. And how you lived and responded to me all along will eternally impact your experience. So I said at the beginning, and this is your ending, life is what happens while we're waiting for life to begin.